Man, what an awesome privilege and honor it is for us to be here with you guys tonight. And uh, we got to come to the one year, so uh, hopefully we'll get to come to the two year uh, and join you guys on the Sunday night for that as well. Um, but I just thought, man, what an awesome honor as a church collectively to just uh, join with the angels a little bit tonight, you know, singing Holy, Holy. Uh, you know, that's an awesome God we serve. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to echo just the friendship uh, we have with Mark and Kara and their family. Um, God, what a kingdom heart these guys have. And I can't think, uh, in the midst of trying to build the kingdom, I can't think of a better church than for you guys to plug into than here at IRC. So, uh, man, what an awesome honor for us to be here um, and for you to as well invite uh, some of our crew. This is my wonderful wife and uh, co-pastor, Missy. And uh, our kids are running around and... And uh, some other pastors you get to meet is Travis, who's our community pastor, and Melinda, who's our worship and creative arts, and they're engaged, soon to be married, so uh, a few more months, uh, so get to meet a few of our, our staff in the process, as uh, well as some of our, our band and worship leaders. Um, so I'm excited, man. What great series to get kind of dropped in the middle of. I'm, I'm smack dab in the middle, right? One through three, and then... Uh, rest of six. So uh, if you guys have not been uh, trekking along with these guys, they've been in uh, Daniel. So Daniel chapters one, two, three. And uh, and then so I get to jump in the middle. But what I'm going to do is kind of not spoil too much of uh, of the stories of, in Daniel. And I'm going to kind of just segue out of that. But man, just uh, uh, whoever does your website, thanks for putting up uh, teaching. I got to, to listen to a couple of them, actually quite a few times. I listened over and over for the few that were up there the last few weeks. And uh, just excited me last week for you guys to be talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace in chapter 3. Wow, what an amazing, amazing story. And it's kind of interesting. I was telling Mrs. we were driving over here. You know, you hear Daniel and you think of Daniel. You don't think of Belshazzar. You don't think of his Babylonian name, but you don't think of uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You don't think of them. And they're Hebrew. It's weird. I don't know. So I guess the thought is if you get to write a book, pick the name you want out of it, then you'll be remembered by that. But uh, Daniel, obviously, and all that he's penned. And man, what a great story. Uh, life examples, life applications for us. I mean, can you handle the fire? Can you handle the fire? Are you going to bow when uh, life circumstances and stuff come at you, and uh, your faith in God, His ability to come through, uh, your belief system, everything that you know will be tested at some point in time in your life. It's going to be put on the spot. Do you really believe this thing, or is this just head knowledge? And what I believe for us as a church, uh, collectively, is that we we step into a place of knowing God not by our minds, not just a knowledge of God, but experientially. That we know God through experience. That He is faithful. He is He is ever consistent in our lives. My life proves it out. Not that Mark and Kara's life can't prove it out, but your life proves it out. Amen. And so I just think, man, the beauty of even a fiery trial is that God's with you in the midst of it. He's right there in the midst of it, and He will get you through. So we need an experiential knowledge of His power, of His love, of His grace, of His forgiveness, especially in the series you're at, of His courage. To be encouraged, you know, for us to understand what it means to truly have courage. And out of the message translation, Psalms 27 verse 1 says, With God on our side, I'm fearless. 
With God on my side, I'm fearless, afraid of no one and nothing. And, you know, to be fearless is to be absence of fear. And, you know, if you think about it, I mean, health, healthy fears are sometimes good to a degree. You know, if you uh, have kids and, and they're getting close to the age of driving cars, there's, there's, there's an aspect of fear you want them to grasp. Like going 200 miles per hour is not a great idea. Well, I'm fearless. Well, you know, there's some wisdom added to that, if you know what I'm saying. But what we are tend to be, uh, as, as just humans, afraid of are the things that are robbing us of peace and of joy. And, you know, that's not, so I'm not talking about the healthy kind of fear. Like when you're standing on a ledge, you know, looking out, you know, over like a, a thousand foot drop, you know, there should be something in you that says, not a good idea, you know, back up. You know, and so uh, that's not what I'm talking about. And I, I believe Mark is trekking down this of, of being fearless. It's talking about the, the things that rob you and I of living a Christian life. You know, having courage to overcome obstacles. When we're put on trial, when we're put on our faith is tested, we're able to press through because we are fearless. And that's where I want to kind of trek and thought with you on this. And, you know, we all have fears. Yeah, how many of y'all can admit you got some kind of fears in your life? And I'm, I'm not talking about the good ones. I'm talking about the, you know, I mean, how many of y'all, just be honest, afraid of snakes? No. Spiders? Uh, no, dark. No, 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 dark. All right, well, how many when you're a kid? Thank you for being honest. When you're a kid, we're afraid of the dark. Okay, all right, I'm with you now. We're, we're on the same page. Because when I was a little kid, I've told our church a while back example of this, but I remember, man, I was, uh, I don't even know why. It's just, you know, nothing's in the dark. It's just the, the fear of something being in the dark. And how our house was set up, there was like a pool room kind of in the middle and then a hallway in the bedrooms. Well, one night we had like all these people over, but no one was in the back bedroom hallway. And so I ran back as a little kid. Uh, mind you, this is like below fourth grade, okay? So it wasn't like yesterday. But I ran back to the room, and all of a sudden I started hearing this banging on the wall. Well, there's no lights on in the hallway, and it's dark, and everybody's at the other side of the house. And, and I just start screaming at the top of my lungs. What ends up is just a bunch of kids in the pool room throwing stuff at the wall. You know, most of the time we're afraid of things that really aren't going to harm us. You know, and so as we talk about this today, I want to kind of jump into this because I believe Second Timothy is a very key verse for us in acknowledging God in His position in our lives and us as Christians to be full of courage. And Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he says, "For God has not given us a spirit of fear, timidity. Some of your translations say, but of power. Say it. Say power, power. and of love, love and a sound mind." See, God has given us courage. So if he's saying he has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, then he is giving us courage. He is giving us the ability to stand out when no matter what else is happening around us, whoever else decides to or not to stand up and, and, and believe as we do or stand up for the, the things that we hold dear to our heart, we're able to do that because God is the one who gives us courage. So in the midst of these stories of Daniel and, and hearing about, as you said, King Nebi, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar and all that he's going on with his visions and dreams. You're going to hear a little bit more next week about dreams and interpretations and all this stuff that's happening. I want to take you to this guy who has nothing to do with Daniel. His name is Benaiah. Now, if you've never heard of, ever heard of it, Benaiah, but turn to Second Samuel chapter 23. And we'll talk about this guy, Benaiah, and what he did. Now, Benaiah, the word in Hebrew, means God has built. So, you know, for us, we don't really put a lot of stock. Most of us now in our culture don't put a lot of stock in our names. But at that point in time, they did. And for, for you to say, hey, 
my name is God is built, just so you know. You know, I mean, there's something to that identity that he carried. And so you find yourself right here in the middle of, uh, of chapter 23. And I don't know if you know the story, the little backdrop of King David. He was anointed as, as a young boy. Obviously, all the stuff that he went through, the trials, the things that his uh, father-in-law chasing him and all that, he was kind of ostracized out of the capital, out of the area. And these people came to David to serve him. To be men that followed him. And it was interesting because they were kind of, uh, uh, you know, Motley Cruz, kind of this group of people that had all these problems, all this stuff. But then you find later in the story, they're called David's mighty men. It's kind of interesting. He takes, and what a beautiful leader to, to mirror after King David. He takes these people who have all these issues and things and problems and, and, and all of a sudden you find in the midst of the future, the history of their story, they're called the mighty men. And so right in the middle, it drops into verse 20. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kebzel, a doer of great deeds. Now, just so you know what he did, he struck down two arrows of Moab, so two leaders, two, uh, two best men of Moab's army. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man, a, a big man, a huge man, some translations say. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with the staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Yes, kind of fun day right there. And these things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoadiah, and won a name besides the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. Now, it's kind of a really interesting story. You start listening like the three and the 30. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of Kung Fu Panda. You know, he like, uh, if, uh, anybody might seen that, okay? A few of you. You know, he wants to be a part of the five. You know, I mean, it's just that, it's that idea. David had three, as you can read above that, mighty men. That, I mean, their exploits, the things they did, nothing compared to them. Now, even his nice little resume is, is pretty sweet. But it attained to not even their level and their status. But he had 30 other men that Benaiah was over. That Benaiah could, could acknowledge, be acknowledged of his, his kind of ranking in the story. And so, you got Benaiah, who, it's like the, the, like, think of Gladiator or Troy or something like, I mean, this Egyptian who's, as some translations say, a huge man, has a spear, he has a club, and goes and takes a spear and kills him with it. I, I like your weapon better. I'll just take that and kill you. All right, you know. And, and so you look down the story of all that he did, and the three uh, you can read above it: uh, Eleazar, Shema, uh, Joheshbim. These guys. But but here in the middle of it, you start looking at what Benaiah, built by God, has done. Now, if you read some of the backdrop of Benaiah, he was already one of the three captains over about twenty-four thousand men. So he was a leader. He was doing great things. And eventually he becomes the captain, you see, of David's bodyguard. I mean, it's pretty interesting the things that start happening. He was famous among the Israelites already, but he becomes even more honored by the military and those going on. He's a champion, and he is a lion chaser. Now, if you start looking at this story, all the things that go into it, the odds were never in his favor on any of these scenarios. I mean, think about it. Two against one. Moab's best men, two of them against Benaiah. I'll take you down. All right, just so you know. 
Uh, what's next? You got a, a lion. You got the next, uh, this Egyptian. You've got these, these different scenarios. And I just don't know what goes through a man's head when he takes off after a lion on a snowy day. You know, I mean, how many of y'all, I mean, it, it's, it snowed this weekend. It's kind of nice and uh, fitting. How many of y'all would just, oh, there's a lion. Let's go kill it. I don't know what he's thinking. I mean, he needs a new rug in his house. I don't know, but he, it says here is one of the things on his list. Hey, he just chased down, jumped in a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. No big deal. All in day's work, you know. I mean, this is what I do. I, I kill lions. But think about this. To understand this, think about lions. I mean, a fully grown lion, we're talking about up to like 500 pounds. I mean, the, 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 the cat-like reflexes. Uh, you know, he's in a pit, dark. On a snowy day. I don't think he had nice spike boots, you know. I mean, he's jumping down in this pit to kill this lion. And I think the beauty of it is we don't know why. I mean, we have no explanation of why. Did he just want to? I mean, was there a prize if he did? Did he want the rug? I mean, I don't know. It doesn't say, but... He jumps in this pit and takes him out. And I want to look at a couple things today for you and I about being lion chasers. Because, I mean, we can look at that and say, this is stupid. Why in the world would he do it? Well, let's think about a few things. First, lion chasers, they, they don't avoid the situation, the circumstance, the problem when the odds are against them. They, they don't avoid it. Well, you know, that just it's not the odds aren't in my favor on this one, you know. Finding yourself in a pit on a snowy day just really seems like bad luck. Oh, no. There's a lion in here. I mean, you know, I don't know. Was he already in the pit? Did he fall in? The lion comes after. Was the lion chasing him? I don't know. But he's in the pit with the lion, and the odds are against him. And he says, wait, wait a second, wait a second. This isn't bad luck at all. This is an opportunity. This is this is good for me. Because you start thinking about it. I mean, David, talk about a resume. David's looking for the captain of his bodyguard. And he's looking through the resume and seeing you know, someone's turned in. Ah, oh, you know, I went to Jerusalem U. Nah, I don't want that one. Nah, you know, I did an internship with the, the, the temple guards. Nah, it's all right, but I'll, I'll set that aside, you know. Worked on Brinks armored chariots. Ah, nah, it's, oh, wait. Killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. That's my man. I mean, you think about it. It was on David's resume too, minus the snow. He's a lion killer. That's the guy I want over my bodyguard. Right there. And an opportunity presented itself in the midst of odds being against him and, and all the things that happened. He found himself in a place of opportunity. The things that come against you and I so often, we're like, man, why? Why am I dealing with this today? Why am I, why is this so frustrating? And it's um, in the middle of it, an opportunity. Two, lion chasers know that impossible odds set the stage for amazing miracles. I mean, think about what you just heard last week. Impossible odds. There's no way they're coming out of that fire live. Have you been close to a fire? I mean, we get a little campfire. Like, oh, it's a little hot. you got to back up. Man, make that thing five or seven times, I think it was. Seven times hotter. I mean, even the guys, the massive... Guards that threw them in die because of the heat. Amazing. Possible odds set a stage for amazing miracles. It's interesting the ancient Greeks had two words for time. One is chronos, which we understand as chronological time, sequential time. It's in order of everything but the kairos time. 
That's kind of what I was saying a minute ago is the opportunity, the time where, where, where things that could, could happen are special, the things that could come out of that, the kairos, the opportunity, it's seeing and seizing a moment. And the things that we look at so often are the negative aspects of a, a circumstance we're going through, of what it's taken away from me, or what, uh, what man, my, my peace. I just wanted to enjoy this Saturday. You know, whatever it is. We, we look at and we miss the opportunity that is in the moment to maximize our kairos, our time in that situation, in that moment, to see God praised, to see God elevated, to see God exalted in the midst of what we're going through. You could be in a pit on a snowy day with a lion. And you could be terrified or you could be fearless. It's interesting the scenarios we start looking at as uh, as bad break uh, or a big opportunity, depending on your perspective of it. And so often that's that's the, the big thing is our perspective in the midst of our situations, our circumstances, the things that come against us. I mean, think Egyptian. Man, a big Egyptian with a spear. Well, David, big giant. With the bodyguard out front holding his... I mean, you know, you start looking at some similarities here. This guy David really likes. Hey, I like this guy. And so you got a lion chaser who's coming under David to be his main bodyguard, the captain of his bodyguards. And so you look at what a lion chaser is. Well, he's got to be a risk taker. No, I don't want to rock the boat. I mean, even look at the disciples. We look at all that they did. There's not a lot of risk takers in the disciples up to the point of the Holy Spirit coming in and empowering them. I mean, there's one that jumps out of the boat, but uh, uh, is he going to do it? Is he not? You know, I mean, you don't see any of the others, but, but one walked with Jesus on the water. There was a risk taker in the midst of them. You know, what is it that you see around so often in churches? We look, oh, wow, look what God's doing in their life. What are they accomplishing for the kingdom? Are they a risk taker? That could be an indication of why things are happening to them and for them and through them. Are we backing on? No, I don't want to. I don't want to rock the boat. This is comfortable once again. You know, it was bad last month or last week, but man, it's better now. So let's just settle down. Let's just kind of ride this out. You know, are are we risk takers? And to understand faith, that you cannot be a man or a woman of faith and not be a risk taker. You can't. What do you mean by see? Well, first off, we know to live by faith and not by sight is a command given to us through the Scripture that God says this is how you walk out the Christian life. And we know Hebrews 11 says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if I am complacent in my Christianity and lethargic in my attitude towards living out the Christian life, I am possibly not pleasing God. Do you see how you kind of take a point one, point two, point three? Uh, to be a risk taker means we stand up for something. We're ridiculed for something and praise God when we're finding ourselves in the midst of a circumstance, God receives the glory out of it. I mean, I just, I was imagine be one of the three Hebrew young men in a fight. You know, yeah, that's just, that's not a pleasant day. But the glory that got out of it. For what Nebuchadnezzar King says to all of the nations around. I mean, you see the, we never, here's the thing. The beauty of the story of, in Daniel's is you go back to chapter one, three weeks ago. God didn't show up on the scene until Daniel did. Daniel purposed in his heart, then God gave favor. I mean, God didn't throw a bunch of water on the fire. They went into the fire. But he was there with them and brought them out of it. 
They purpose in their heart, I'm not going to bow to this idol. I'm not. You see how a lot of times we're like, God, if you will, then I will. And God's like, no, you will, and then I will. See, that's what faith is. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. I'm called by God to walk by faith and not by sight. You see where I'm going with this? And to be a risk taker means you're actually living the Christian life. Versus like, wow, they're just special. They're, they're captains. They're heroes. In the now, It's just what all of us are called to do is to be a risk taker in the kingdom of God because that's what faith is. Now, I don't know if you, you like the story of uh, or any of the movies, the Indiana Jones movies, but the, the, the Last Crusade, I mean, that's to me the, the best one, ultimate. Because you find him in a place where he's got to believe, he's got to trust, he's got to take this leap of faith. And I don't know if we, yeah, there's a little clip there right there. He's about to step out and he looks down, there's nothing there. And it's probably one of the most visual examples of faith I think I've ever seen is because there's nothing in the natural to hold him up, but he knows to get to the ultimate goal, he's got to step. That's what faith is so often. You don't see that there's something under there that will catch your foot as you step out. Because if you saw it, it's not faith. You see the difference? I mean, we want to say, I live by faith, but are we really living by faith? Are we just going with what looks good? If it looks good, if it fits my budget, if it fits my, you know what I'm saying? And I know there's, there's practical things in what we do, and, you know, obviously I'm not talking about that, but when it comes to God telling you to step out, and you're like, oh, God, that just doesn't fit my, uh... you, you see where I'm going? Then, then we've got to understand that's called disobedience. That's not your your practicality in the midst of it. Well, I'm just you know I'm I'm just I'm just saying how it is. No, you 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 get a step further in faith when you actually operate in what God's called you to do. So I believe there's no such thing as risk-free faith. I don't think there is. What is what? Look through the Bible. Anybody that did anything for God, God usually told him something that required complete faith and trust. I mean, read Hebrews eleven. I mean, so many examples that we find all through it, and and so much of us want to like get all the obstacles out of the way, and then I'll go, then I'll step, then make sure it's all nice and cozy, and then I'll go. And most of the time, the odds are in our favor. And we're waiting and waiting. Well, I just need the odds to turn in my favor. And then I will do whatever. I mean, what has God told you to do? Buy a house? Give something? Well, I mean, I can't give a car. I only have two. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you might say, I only have one. And God's told you, you need to do this for... I don't know what it is. Well, you know, it just doesn't fit with... Am I talking to the right people? I mean, I don't know what it is God's told you to do, but I'm here to tell you, step out in it. You don't see what's on the other side of your obedience. We never do. Once again, it's called faith. I mean, think of all the people through the the Bible. I mean, Noah, build an ark. There's going to be a flood. It's going to rain. Rain. What's rain? A boat. A big boat. Not just a little boat. A big boat. Hey, there's going to be two of every animal and seven of those that are going to sacrifice. Hey, you know, they're going to be on the ark too. What? You know, it's just your kids and their wives and your wife. And that's about it. I mean, that's much bigger than I think anything of, uh, that we've dealt with. I mean, the ridicule for years and years and years and years. Oh, look, they're still building. No rain yet. Good job, Noah. You're pretty smart there, bud. On the other side of his obedience, 
Door closes, rain comes, flood rises. Hey, we're doing pretty good. That's why everybody's knocking. Yeah, I want what you had. I want that. You see, it's, it's, I mean, go through the list. Gideon. I, I love the story of Gideon. I mean, if I'm going to be a military genius, I'm not going to downsize my army. But that's what God does with him. It whittles it down to 300. And now let's go take on the Midianites. What? Yeah, I mean, this doesn't make sense. God, we need a bigger army. God, no, you need a smaller army. Because you got me. I mean, you just go down the list. Joshua, the thickness of the walls of Jericho. Once again, my military mind, which is zero, would not think, let's walk around, walk around, walk around, and then let's shout. That, that makes sense, guys. Let's do that. You know, okay. All right, everybody collect generals. Come here. Hey, here's what we're doing today. We're going to walk around again. Tell everybody be quiet. No talking. We're going to walk around one more time. Oh, what, tomorrow. Hey, you know what we're going to do tomorrow? We're going to walk around. Hey, all week. This is what we're going to do, man. They're, they're not going to know what to do with this. We're going to walk around again. Wait, you know what? The last day, we're going to walk around like seven times. You know, I mean, we need some more exercise. I mean, do you get faith does not make sense? It doesn't. And what we're waiting to do for God does not make sense. And if you're waiting for it to make sense, you are not going to be a risk taker. Does, does that make sense? That's why, does that make sense? Uh, that's why the kingdom is, is for those, the whosoever wills. I mean, so many people get past, oh, wow, this didn't happen or that didn't happen. Or, and, and God is looking for a, a body, a church that will be fearless, that will be line chasers. And that's what a line chaser is. He's fearless. She is fearless. So think about your life, your relationships, your job, your, your dreams, the things you believe you're on this earth to do. What are the lions you are facing? Because everyone in this room has something they're facing. The lions that, that are, are causing you to back off. And, you know, it's interesting as, as we looked at what Paul told Timothy, that God's not giving you a spirit of fear. And Timothy was a young man, probably around 30. And so you've got him being put in a position to to teach the church and to pastor the church. And and Paul, his his kind of mentor, is saying, "Listen, Timothy, don't be afraid." So there had to be some timidity in there for him to hear Paul say, "Don't do this. Don't be afraid. God's going to give you what you need. He's given you power, confidence, a sound mind. God's called you to preach, Timothy." Do what He's called you to do. In the process, Timothy, set an example. Don't let others look down on you because your youth, it says in, in 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let them look down. But set an example for the believers in everything you do. What does it say? In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Timothy, what you do, step out, be a risk taker, and set an example. So what is the line you're facing? It's interesting to me that God gives us Scripture that equates Satan to a roaring lion. I mean, think about it. That's what it says in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. It says, Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking. He's looking. He's, he's trying to find someone to devour. Resist him, it says. Stand firm in the truth. I mean, you think about lions, once again, what are they doing? They're prowling around. They're looking for the weak. 
the straggler, the alone, the isolated. Man, what a, a another great example of why it's so important to be in community, to be plugged into this house, to build relationships, because the roaring lion is looking for the one that's weak, that's isolated. That's interesting. He is roaring like a roaring lion. He is trying to get you afraid. Oh, you can't get over this. This relationship will never work out. You'll never be able to pay those bills off. You'll never be able to become that. You never can do that. No one will ever. He's a roaring lion. And he knows exactly your button to push. Because he's been pushing it since the day you were born. Oh, oh that one works. Let me keep pushing that one. Let me keep pushing that one. A lion chaser. James says, resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee. Man, he's just a lot of noise. When it comes down to the truth of God's Word and the application of it, he is just a lot of noise. But he has power that we give him. It's kind of interesting when you really start nailing this down and understanding our place in the body of Christ. He's already been defeated. But he's still roaring and trying to get you afraid of what you could do to his kingdom. I mean, just think of all that God has told you to do to expand the kingdom of God. Chasing a lion. It's just, ah, it's too much. It's too big. Know that the bigger your God is, the smaller the lion is. I mean, really, if that's what we, we start really navigating that, I mean, you're going to find out in a few weeks of, of Daniel and the lion's den. We've heard that a lot of us since we were kids. This story is amazing. I want you know, give the spoiler here. He gets out, you know, sorry if I spoiled that one for you, but he, he's put in by King Darius. And Darius runs to him after the next morning, and he's like, Daniel, did your God save you? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of lions. I mean, he knew his God. His God was much bigger than what the lions were. And that was a natural lion, once again. It's interesting how many scenarios we've got that it comes around here. It begins with our perspective of what we're going through and how we're going to overcome it. Most of our problems, I believe, are not circumstantial, but perceptual. How do I see this? And if we can start getting the right perspective, Benaiah's boldness, I believe, was not just a function of his courage. It was a function of his confidence in God. It's a lion. Wait, wait, look at David. Oh, it's a lion. It's a bear. It's a Goliath. I mean, whatever. I'll take it down. I mean, you know, you get that relationship with God and you start getting a few victories in your belt and a little notch on it. And you're like, hey, I took that down. We'll take it on the next thing. See, what is it you're believing for? Why wow, it's so big. And start with something. Start with something that will start taking you towards that end that you could believe for that. Maybe there's a house you want to buy and I mean, there's one bill you need to pay. Well, believe for that. Get a notch in your belt. Look, God came through for that. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I, I just feel like God's stirring in us to look and take that step. God is bigger. He's bigger than all the armies, the weapons, even the nature, all that he was up against. God was bigger, and he was in relationship to God. And so for us, how big, here's the question, is your God? I mean, some of us, he fits in a really small box. <coughs> some of us, we're, we're really wrestling with, well, how do I truly believe he can? 
I mean, there's people all through the, the Gospels, even when come to Jesus, I, I, you know, can you do this? Or are you willing to do this? How big is your God? Is He bigger than your biggest problem? Is He bigger than your worst failure? What's the worst thing you've ever done? Is He bigger than that? Because that failure has caused your identity to become that. Is He bigger than that? Is He bigger than your greatest fear? And you start looking through the, the Bible, Psalms and Isaiah and different places, and you start getting a new image of the bigness of God. I mean, Isaiah, I just I wrote down 40. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls each one by name. I mean, we just say, ah, sunset. Hey, look to there. It says he calls them all by name. Time to come out. I mean, just the bigness of him because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. I'm telling you, He is a big God. But how do we perceive Him? Our perception, once again, is what is arranging a lot of our life circumstances. We're going through something. Well, you know, God must not be able to handle this. I mean, look at the people we look as courageous in the Bible. They understood the relationship with God, who He was, how He could overcome through them, and how they could be conquerors. To chase your line, guys, we got to take that first step. What is the step in front of you to conquer that fear? I mean, think about it. You watch TV shows. Reality shows of people conquering their fear. Take that first step. Well, I've got to do that. Well, I can't be up in front of people. You know what I'm saying? God is constantly taking us to a place of what is your first step. I mean, we're wanting this big thing to happen, but we can't take that first step. You know what I'm saying? Well, we'll do this when. We'll try that when. And see, we've got to start taking that step. What if? What if? What could happen if you took that first step? Really, think about what could it get you to? What destination is ahead of you? What has God called you and equipped you and gifted you and put you on this earth for? What could happen if? If we just took that first step? You know, too often there's, there's, there, well, there's regrets in our lives. And there's two different kinds. One is a regret of action, things we've done. Yeah, I wish, ah, wish I hadn't done that. But there's also regrets of inaction. Man, I wish I would have. You ever had one of those? Yeah, I mean, man, I wish I I knew God was telling me to do that, and I just kind of walked right by that. I mean, that person, I don't know, asking for help or something, some situation you heard. I, I knew I was supposed to go say something. I knew I was supposed to go pray for him. I knew I was supposed to give that. Those regrets of inaction. Those moments God told you to step out. I knew I was supposed to take that job. I knew I was supposed to make that investment. I know I was supposed... What is it in your life? That regret that you're holding on to. In theological terms, we call this kind of the sin of commission and the sin of omission. Things we should have done that we didn't do. It's interesting that James says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That, ah, I wish I... You know, and there's times I can remember 
When we bit, lived back in Arkansas years ago, we were in Walmart one night, and, and, and I think we were in one, we were in a grocery store, and then we went to Walmart, and I saw this lady that both places hunched over massive, just, both places God told me to go pray for her. Both places I, I didn't do it. Both places. I had two chances in one night, and I, I disobeyed both. I don't know if you had those moments, but man, you want to crawl under a rock. God, I'm... Missy, she remembers it. I told God that night, I said, I will not miss that again. I will not miss that again. It was probably the next time we were at Walmart, wasn't it? It was right after that. Walked by this lady, said, go back there and tell her I love her. Talk to her. Missy looked at me, she goes, what's wrong with you? I said, I'm supposed to go back and talk to this lady. She goes, go. I mean... Are we looking at our life and the things that God told us? To st- ah, it's embarrassing. Ah, what if I don't know what to say? Ah, we make excuses. We're great at excuses. We are great. Ah, you know, I'm, just, I'm rushed. Ah, kids need to go to bed. Ah, I can't make that call. Ah, they got school tomorrow. I mean, what is it? What is our excuse? I mean, we're good. We got we got a flip file of our excuses. Which one do I want to use on this situation? I'm telling you, God has wanted us to cut through all that. There's been studies done. Two sociologists found out that time with the, this key factor in what our regrets. Over the short time, we tend to regret our actions, but over the long haul, we tend to regret our inactions, what I didn't do. So church, as, as we're getting here, closing this off, our greatest regret at the end of our lives will be the lines we didn't chase because we were afraid. Because we didn't want to step out. Fire looked too hot. Uh, you know, I don't want to oppose the, the king. I don't want to step into this this place that's uncomfortable. And I think God's telling us, as he says in Psalm 31, to be strong and courageous, to be fearless, to be full of faith. And so I would look at this idea in this series that you and I are, are stepping into through this, that to be fearless is to be full of faith. Full of faith is to be fearless. To be a doer of the word and not a hearer only is to be a risk taker, is to be a fearless man or woman of God. So what is it? What is your line? What is that thought that keeps, ah, you'll never get over that sickness? Ah, it's hereditary. Your grandparents had it. Your parents had it. You'll have it. Your kids will have it. What is that voice? What is that lion? Because he's loud. He's roaring. You lay your head on the pillow. That's all you can think of. You get up in the morning. It's right in front of you in the mirror. What is that lion that's roaring in your life? Because we can talk about being fearless. We can look at these examples like, wow, that's a great story of Daniel. That's a great story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's a great story of so. What about your story? What about your story? I don't know if you get this or not, but your story is just as important as theirs. Your story can be just as teachable to others as theirs. But what do you want it to teach? Do you want it to be the lion chaser? Hey, look, Mark, care what I did this last year. You know, this the, some of it, that's what a pastor gets in the middle of your stuff and, and they know what's going on and to watch the victory after victory. And even when it's hard to see you still pressing on and praying through. And you know what I'm saying? That's church life. So I guess my assignment as a wrap-up here is to say, you and I have lions that are yelling, they're roaring in our ear. What is it that's roaring? 
And are you ready to silence that? Go ahead, come up, guys. Are you ready to silence that? And I've got a few minutes before we close off and dismiss. And all I'm, I just feel like all my, my offer is here is if you want someone to agree with you that that lion is, is silenced. That's what I feel like my assignment tonight is, is. And I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's one of you or half of you or all of you. I mean, we can, we can look at example after example, but to me, I just look at it and say, wow, the lion is loud. And that's the, the fear so many of us face. Is, I mean, I can get in the Word and read and I hear what God said, but to start really walking that out, to take that step, you got to silence that lion. He, he's got to... It's interesting. Hey, kids had uh, Monsters, Inc. on TV. And it's interesting. I don't know if you the story, but basically the, the monster jumps in, scares the kid, the kid screams, and they get power. Well, it was funny because the end, the one lizard dude that was scaring the girl, she turns around and starts, ah, ah, I mean, and, and the big hairy dude, whatever his name is, says, look, you have no power over her anymore. She's not afraid of you. It's interesting. If you and I could come to that place of, of the enemy, like, wow, I can't do anything to them anymore. They're not afraid of me.